he leant over to me and he went, oh my God, this is absolutely horrendous. And I just thought to myself, oh my God, this looks unbelievably amazing. Why would anybody not want to have a go at this? And I think that's the kind of, I think if there is a moment, it was that moment that I thought, you know, I, this is something that I really want to have a go at. Hello, and welcome to this edition of the Outdoor Athlete Podcast, where this time we will be talking to Wendy Searle. Wendy set out on a journey to the South Pole that would cover over 700 miles of ice and snow, crevasses and catabatic winds. Solo, unsupported and unassisted, Wendy aimed to break the women's record for the fastest coastline to pole journey. The world needs more adventurous women, role models with the courage to pursue an idea, to see challenges not barriers, to say goodbye to their children for a while, to go out into the world in search of the wind in their face, the mountain ahead, with broken nails and unwashed hair, to show the next generation that you need to get out there, to take your slice of the action, write your name in the story. And those women adventurers will show you that they can do that at school, at work and at home. You can take risks. You can be responsible for your own destiny. You can choose your own path. So, Wendy Searle, welcome to the Outdoor Athlete, and thanks for thanks for talking to us. Now, your your story is is one that's very familiar to me, um, but we're not going to go there. I, you know, I want to learn, and the listeners want to hear a little bit more about you and 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 who you are. And it's um, you know, it's quite a remarkable one, really. Um, and you know, I know a lot of it, but we want to get out of it, out of you, um, a little bit more about your life and who who Wendy Searle is, and and who she's going to be and become, I suppose, going going forward. So um, if you don't mind, um, I'd like to find out and the listeners would like to know a little bit more about young Wendy. You know, what was family life like? What was it like growing up in your family, brothers, sisters? Were you active? Were you an outdoor adventurous type back then? You know, talk us through the early years. Thank you so much for having me on. It's really exciting. That's the first thing. So the early years, God, um, I don't know, I suppose the, the thing that really, that I keep coming back to when I think about when I was younger is that we we weren't a, you know, we didn't have loads of foreign holidays, but we, you know, I had a, a super happy childhood for the most part. And we often went on UK holidays and they were cycling holidays, hiking in the lakes, that kind of thing. Always sort of active holidays. And I can honestly say, hand on heart, that I hated it. I hated every minute of it. Really? <laughs> uh, I, I think it was partly because uh, when you're little, you kind of have wellies and a sort of slightly rubbish mat. You don't have decent kit. And I just remember being just, you know, soaking wet and freezing cold. And, uh, you know, I suppose I suppose there were some, some good moments, you know, uh, because it's obviously something that I've come back to. And then um, I can remember sort of going rock hopping in the in rivers and streams with my dad and him kind of sort of pushing me to uh to, to take lots of risks and uh th- those things sort of stand out but it's it's not it's definitely not that I kind of always have this deep connection to the outdoors it's it's it was obviously always there but um I definitely kind of put it on hold for a while because uh I just yeah I, I it's not like um that was a huge part of who I was you know sort of when I was a teenager or anything like that it, I kind of left it left it behind and uh, have only come back to it sort of more recently since since having children really in, in, in my kind of 20s um but when I was when I was younger I can definitely remember I was like a massive tomboy it wouldn't surprise you to learn and uh, <laughs> we spent a lot of the time my my mum's very kind of into 
sort of healthy lifestyle and even before it was fashionable you know sort of healthy eating and all that kind of thing and uh, we were always encouraged to play outside if not made to play outside and uh, we spent so much time building dens and you know sort of making stuff and having sort of adventures out in the outdoors and I remember those times really fondly and uh, you know we just we just always had a brilliant brilliant time and um, my brother was in the Cubs and I distinctly remember going up to the sort of musty old village hall in there where I used to live and picking him up and sort of peering through the door and thinking that looks brilliant you know they were sort of doing fires and knots and all the things I wanted to do and I was absolutely desperate to join the Cubs and they said no you know it was before the days when girls were allowed to to join um so yeah definitely kind of into sort of BMX biking with my with my brothers and making ramps in the garden and getting up to all sorts of you know crazy crazy Mm. stuff but I, I think the the thing that is um important I think for people who are listening is that it was just a very ordinary childhood you know I didn't we didn't kind of go on amazing adventures I wasn't sort of from a family of people who who did extraordinary things my dad was a teacher you know I was just very ordinary very average at school you know I wasn't I wasn't sort of I was averagely sporty I was we used to be good at you know the academic side but there was nothing absolutely nothing stand out about me whatsoever Mm. Okay. Yeah. So what did, what did you do from sort of college school and what, what were your interests and sort of what, you know, how did your working life kick in? What, what did you do? Well, what was your first job, for example? I, I was going to join the army, uh, okay. but we had a family instead. So my, my mum actually encouraged me to, cause I had a, an English degree and my, my, one of my sort of teenage uh, aspirations was to grow up to be Kate Aidy, who you'll remember. But yes, um, I know. Well, I've met her a few times. You know, yeah, yeah, me too. And the first time I met Kate Aidy, I'm, I'm sure I've told you this story before. That um, I was so starstruck because she was my idol growing up. I was so starstruck I couldn't remember the name of the newspaper that I worked for, so I had to make one up, and uh, <laughs> I could literally barely remember my own name. I was like completely floored by meeting this kind of incredible woman that I had sort of looked up yeah. to for so long. But before that, I'd. Um, my mum encouraged me to kind of pursue that whole the whole media side and I, I went up and did some voluntary work as a hospital radio DJ if you can believe it and uh, then did some um, I was a radio news reporter and it kind of developed from there so my kind of interest in the army had has always kind of I've always ended up working in that kind of area so I've done some jobs for um, military charities and, and working as a civil servant for the MOD so that I, I kind of almost ended up where I think I might have ended up had I actually joined the army, if you know what I mean. So yeah. um, it's it's kind of funny how things work out, but I think that's kind of illustrative of the fact that, you know, no matter what life throws at you, you've just got to create the opportunities and that, that can help you to, to be where you want to be. Or even if you're not quite sure, you know, if something interesting comes along, just grab it with both hands and see where it, see where it leads to. Yeah, no, absolutely. I completely agree. And I think a lot of people come to, the sort of the big outdoors quite late aren't you so you know I don't I don't think you're you're alone there I've you know I've heard and spoken to quite a few people who've done these big expeditions that again had very normal simple average upbringings and lives you know there are a few exceptions that that you know were, were born into this type of thing but um once, once you find it what at whatever stage in life you end up getting hooked don't you but what was your what was your moment? There must be a line in the sand where you've gone, you know, I'm missing out on something here. Well, you know, this, 
I, yeah, this expedition I, stuff looks great. You know, how did you get into your, your first sort of big winter adventure, if you like? I'm not sure if it was exactly that I was missing something because I, I kind of, you know, people say everyone has one book in them and I think everyone has one big adventure in them. Yeah. And I just hadn't figured out what that was going to be. I always knew there'd be something. And I did, because I was, you know, juggling work and young children and, and I hadn't really had time to p- pursue that, mm-hmm. that element. I'd always, you know, I'd got into running. I'd done some trail running really reconnected with you know being in the outdoors and and realized how much I loved it and and that was all great and then I met a team who I know you know so uh, Lou Rudd and his um, team of army adventurers who were doing a full crossing of Antarctica and I was working for the charity that they were raising money for at the time uh, took on some of the sort of promotion around their expedition and I, I at the time I just thought you know this is great someone's doing fundraising trip for the charity as lots of people do quite a lot of the time and it wasn't until I sort of started going on a couple of training weekends with them to do some interviews with the team work out how I could sort of help promote them find out a bit more that I sort of started to realize that there was something really special about this trip and about Antarctica and read a couple of books that I'd been recommended and I was I was kind of getting drawn in at that point but it wasn't until I went to a lecture that I'm I'm convinced in my head I remember it as being by Chris Imray who's like a, an amazing cold weather specialist professor yeah. um, but apparently it wasn't him it was Martin Hartley Doc Martin who's a, a sort of polar doctor equally amazing whoever it was they were showing these slides of people with kind of blackened fingers and bits of their face falling off and it was all about how to prevent you know that happening to you in a, yeah. in a polar um, on a polar journey so um, I was sat at the back of the room with a, a colleague from the charity and he leant over to me and he went oh my god this is absolutely horrendous and I just thought to myself oh my god this looks unbelievably amazing why would anybody not want to try, have a go at this and I think that's the kind of I can if there is a moment it was that moment that I thought you know I, this is something that I really want to have a go at and I think I've never been more and I don't like sort of sitting on the sidelines watching other people do things mm-hmm. which is the point that was the point I was at then I, you know I want to be getting involved in, and having a go so um that was the kind of germ of the idea and that was back in probably 2015 um yeah. when i sort of first had the when i met these guys i first had the idea and that's what it was you know initially um and it took that long it took until the 8th of well end of november 2019 but the 8th of january 2020 to actually kind of get to the you know complete the complete the mission so yeah it's been a long road yeah, but a you know an, an absolutely amazing one. So um, you mentioned Lou Rudd there, and I you know we've we've done a you know a podcast chat with Lou here at the uh, the outdoor athlete as well, and it's it's great. I that think he had him on for about four hours, apparently, didn't you? <laughs> <laughs> Not that long, but you got uh, your money's worth. <laughs> he had to um, he had to shoot off in the middle, and then for a meeting that actually ended up getting delayed anyway. So we could have we could have just carried on, but uh, you know it was uh, it was it was a good chat. But he yeah. He loves um, very much like I do with my experience. We love passing it on. We love mentoring and managing and, and giving people amazing experiences in that environment in the right way when they're early in their career. And Lou spoke very highly of, of, of you. And, you know, and I can't think of a better person myself to have had in those early days to be able to mentor and follow and, and learn from. And, you know, so. I think that's, that's exactly right. So when, when you. And you'll know this because of your Antarctic trip. But if you suddenly woke up one day and thought, I want to ski to the South Pole, it's not quite that straightforward, especially yeah. if you want to do it as a solo trip. So the company that gets you in and out, they want to make sure that you've effectively got a, a polar CV. 
oh, cold weather trips, long range journeys to prove to them that you're kind of, you're, you're yeah, safe bet if you like and uh so i knew that i had there were lots there was lots of uh, there was a massive gap to to fill and lots of things that i needed to tick off in order to make that happen but i think you're absolutely right if you have a you know a good experience and a good introduction and then sort of you can you can build on those positive experiences then it makes such a massive difference you know who's kind of mentoring you looking out for you kind of taking you along the right road rather than sort of fumbling around trying to figure it out for yourself so while it was a solo journey, it absolutely was not a solo effort. I had so, tons of help and support and morale and encouragement from all sorts of people, um, particularly in the in the polar world. So that's been that's been really nice. It, it was great. And you did prior to this. You, it wasn't your first long trip across the, the ice. You did it. You actually did in the east west traverse of Greenland, didn't you, with with Lou? Oh God, let me get this right. So it was a west to east. West so to we east. started in Kangaroo okay. uh, Slack and finished in Taslak. So how was and that? I think it's interesting. It's all a matter of perspective, isn't it? Because mm. I'd, I'd literally never done it. I, I couldn't ski. You know, I'd never done anything like that. When I first turned up in Norway for a two-week course in a place called Finsa with Hannah McKean, and uh, I got off the train, and I'd literally never been in an environment like that. It was like blowing a gale, and there was, it was like blizzard conditions, or I thought it was. And I just thought, what the hell am I doing? This is terrifying. Um, <laughs> I think that but was you kind the first of time I actually met you, wasn't it, on that trip? Oh, yeah, of course, yeah. yeah it was, that was when we met in Finsters. So that, those two weeks, you know, they kind of stretched my comfort zone unimaginably. And then you kind of get to the end of that and you think, I can't do anything harder than that. And then you do, you know, a, a big trip like Greenland and you, you get to the end and you think, that was amazing, but I couldn't do anything harder than that. So... You know, you've, you've just got to keep sort of expanding your um, your comfort zone in order to kind of realise what, what you can do. And that, that was a 27-day uh, as a team uh, crossing of Greenland. And I just I just learned so much about myself, about the yeah. environment, you know, what not to do. And I made, I made a ton of mistakes on every expedition I went to until I went to Antarctica. And I'm kind of, so I feel slightly silly about admitting some of the stupid things that I did. But also, you know, if you're if you're not at that point of kind of failing and learning then there's almost no point in doing it because that's that's how you kind of get the the enough experience to safely go out and, and be on your own and, and make yeah, a successful big trip I, mean, I i know for a fact no matter how experienced you are when you're tired and fatigued and you've been going day after day after day you make silly mistakes everybody does some people won't admit it and don't like to talk about it others throw it out there because it's just funny and it's real life mm. Yeah, However, I, I it was. I mean, you could say it was quite boring. A boring expedition, in a sense, the Antarctic yeah. one, because I I didn't have a single gear issue. I didn't have a single medical issue. Uh, I didn't. I didn't lose any kit. I didn't break any kit. I didn't leave any kit behind because I was absolutely because I know mm. from those previous experiences yeah. that I'm quite an impulsive person. I I'm, I t- tend to kind of. Uh, act first, think later, and I sort of made a conscious decision to do everything methodically slowly almost like um exaggeratingly so you know um and by doing that I kind of I did everything in exactly the same way every single day so my my lighter was always in the same pocket I even plugged the wires into my um solar panel charger in the same order and some might call it like a little bit anal but you know it worked and I, I got to the end of the expedition still in good shape with you know no kind of nothing nothing touched wood nothing had gone wrong it was absolutely yeah. like no one was more surprised than me but it does come down to 
but it, having it's, had it's, all that, it's, it's you know, brilliant. made, made uh, a mess yeah. of things all the time beforehand. Really good. That's what I call muscle memory. It's exactly how I teach and coach people. You know, regardless, you know, you've got to have a routine on. You know, if you're on a similar style expedition, every time you go, it's about routine, 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 and just and just being being the same. So when you are really tired and you're really fatigued and you can't remember where you put something, you just think, well, where do I normally put it? And funny old thing, yeah. that's where that's what that's where you find it. Yeah. Um, but you know that's that's really good to hear. I mean, with the level of experience you you've had and the things that you've done, um, it's 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 perhaps an even bigger achievement to do it in that style than than just crawling across the line, you know, in a really dilapidated state. You know, so there's, I, there's getting there well. and there's getting there, isn't there? Yeah, for sure. And you know, there's there's definitely an element of luck involved in it, without question. But I wonder yeah. if part of it is. For me, it was this was the be all and end all. I had spent so long fundraising, training. Yeah. It wasn't like I could go just because of my my family logistics. I couldn't go any other time. I couldn't leave it for another year. I couldn't come back yeah. to it. I'd put everything into the training. You know, it's not that I'm an Olympic athlete, but the training you'd have to. It was six days a week, every single um, mm. week for a year, pretty pretty much, um, give or take a few weeks, and. The fact that I put so much into it, I was, you know, I was absolutely not going to sort of give in or, um, you know, it, it just meant so much to me. And I think that's that definitely kind of helped me to um, feel sort of or keep trying to remind myself, you know, this is a privilege to be here. This is what you work so hard for, um, you know, and, and to try and kind of make a good job of it because this is your one and only chance. Or that's what I thought at the time. So what was the point in which you decided you wanted to do this? You'd come back from Greenland and you, you, you know, must have been, had, had you decided before Greenland you were going to try and attempt a, a, yeah. a, a solo so crossing? So when did you uh, first decide you, you wanted to do it? So it's a good question. Like basically I wanted, I knew I wanted to go. And I think that um, if I have any advice for anybody's wanting to do something similar, don't wait until you've got the money, set a date and work to that. So it's not yeah. kind of do it that way around. Because otherwise, you you know, you can end up sort of never getting the money. Yeah. So I knew that I wanted to go and do something in Antarctica, but um, initially I'd wanted to go and do a pioneer a new route, and that's still something that yeah. is of interest to me. But actually, outside of polar circles, doesn't really mean anything to very many people, you know. Yeah. So what? Um, and uh, I had this I had this big idea involving lots of people that I was going to go across the Transantarctic Mountains to pole, and it was going to be amazing. And it, you know, it still yeah. would be at, at some point one day but um I well, I was getting absolutely no traction with sponsors whatsoever and I, I went up to um visit my friends Roger and Gazala Mir so Roger Mir is a, a bit of a polar legend he and Robert Swan and Gareth Wood went and did um in the footsteps of Scott in the 80s and you know it was a proper unsupported expedition I don't think we had any radios and it was just it was crazy but mm. you know successful um and uh, I, I said to, I said to Roger look I'm just not getting anywhere with this and he said why do you want to go and I was like oh you know I want to do this science he was like no why do you want to go I was like well I want to inspire other people and it, those things are true but he said no why do you want to go to Antarctica why why there and I said you know what I'm just obsessed by this place and it's I've just got to make it happen and he said well make it about that and the minute I made it authentically about why I wanted to go everything changed and I had a sponsor one not all the sponsors but I had a sponsor within a week people got it and it's yeah. just such a simple 
um, objective, you know, be the, be the fastest to ski solo to the South Pole, be the yeah. fastest woman. And, you know, pe- people just understood it and got behind it. And I think that combined with just being able to see how passionate I was about it mm-hmm. was what kind of gave me, I mean, it was just absolutely, as you'll know yourself, down to the, down to the wire with the money. Yeah. And it's quite hard to sell yourself. It's quite hard to go into a company and say, I'm amazing get behind this especially when they've got nothing you know that you're a complete unknown you've got nothing no credibility whatsoever yeah so I kind of made it about the expedition I said Mm -hmm. this expedition is worth supporting it you know it's going to be an amazing expedition and it kind of it did actually end up taking on a bit of a life of its own um and uh yeah I think all those things combined just what just it just got me to the start point by kind of the skin of my teeth (laughs) <laughs> but once you've sent that big check to ALE it's a it's a massive weight off isn't it and then it's it's just the apprehension of sitting in the waiting room to to get down there isn't it and um so I know uh, it's scary right it, I was, is, I was yeah. like sat, sat in South America for about 10 probably about 10 days because you you want to go down a week before to sort your kit yeah. out make sure that you've kind of prepped your food and everything but then we were a little bit delayed and that delay was really mentally difficult yeah. for me because yeah. everyone else seemed to be so cool about it. And they were all like, oh, well, you know, and they were all sort of chatting about how many days food they had and what fuel and what, what sleeping bed they had. And I was like, I, I don't want to talk to anybody about this. I don't want, I don't, in fact, I don't want to talk to anybody because yeah. there was nothing I could do to change any of those things. And actually it was kind of psyching me out a little bit. And they were going, oh, you know, that's not, you haven't got many days food. You're going to have to ski really fast. And, <laughs> You kind of you're you you sort of have a bit of a wobble about you know well that's my plan but look look at what they're doing over there so I li- I literally had to just kind of not no not I think go I, and I, spend I, any I, time I, with anybody it yeah. was very weird I, I think you did exactly the right thing because I mean I'm 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 pretty much very like you and you know it, it, advice going forward is very much uh, you know if you're standing in that place and you're not ready to go in your own head and you don't think you've got the skill sets then you shouldn't be there. And speaking to anyone else at that point in time and asking for advice or asking questions tells me you're doubting yourself, you know, and it's really difficult when people are doing something different to you to not sort of look in the corner of your eye and see what they're doing and why they're doing. But you, you're absolutely right. You just got to focus and switch off, do your own thing, put yourself in your own little bubble, your own space. You've got a plan and you've just got to go and execute your own plan, haven't you? And I think that is one of the hardest things is sticking to your own plan, regardless of what other outside influences might come along. I mean, for me, as you know, there were there were three of us out there doing solo female journeys to pole that year. And, you know, people uh, certainly Jenny Davis went off. You know, I kind of knew she was ahead. I didn't know because we would all sort of shut all our trackers off. But. When we got to the halfway point, which is the place called uh, Fields, there's a there's nothing much there, but there is a what's what's classed as the world's most remote portaloo. So there's a, a building <laughs> yeah. with a portaloo and a guestbook, and I, I couldn't bring well. myself to go inside <laughs> and actually use the portaloo because to me that's kind of a sort of just there's yeah. something not right about that, and b what if you go in and get warm and then you don't want to come back out again? That kind of I couldn't I couldn't. It's take one of them. You've just got to get in and get out, haven't you? You've just got to keep going. But I I looked at the I did look at the guestbook and I signed yeah. it in the guestbook and I could see that she'd been through two days ahead and I just right. you know that that again I kind of I really thought quite a lot about that and about yeah. well you know maybe I should like ski through the night to catch up or you know get out super early and you know yeah. go do some sort of crazy days to try and make up some some uh, some miles. But, you know, I, I quite sort of quickly decided, look, I am going to do 
And I think that's partly influenced by what happened with Lou and Colin the previous season when yeah. you know, Lou definitely was just, I'm doing this journey for these reasons and nothing anybody else mm-hmm. does is going to affect that. And I just, I, I went back to kind of why I was doing it, yeah. um, what sort of exhibition I wanted to have. And it was, it was definitely, and quite quickly, quite early on, it wasn't about the record. It was about me and Antarctica and what Antarctica yep. would allow me to do each day and what I could manage in a sort of sustained way. Yeah. And that was literally all it was about. So I was able to kind of quite quickly after sort of, okay, kind of it was on my mind for a couple of days, I can't deny, but I could quite quickly turn that off and just think I'm doing my exhibition and there's nothing anybody else does or, or says that's going to affect how I'm I'm doing this. And I knew that I was, I also knew that I was doing everything, every single thing I could every single day yeah. in terms of, of physical effort and time. And I'd get to the end of the day and, partly because you've been on skis the whole time and it just feels weird but also I was literally that exhausted that I, I couldn't walk I'd be putting my tent up on my hands and knees and mm-hmm. just kind of falling into the tent at the end of the night knowing that I'd you know I'd given everything I could every single yeah. day and so and and I was satisfied with that regardless of what anybody else might have been doing or yeah. what time I finished in yeah no that's that's I mean I was I was fortunate enough I could I could know where you were every day because I was privately messaging Lou <laughs> and following it every day so obviously Lou Lou was fully aware of how you were getting on and and, and time wise and stuff and yeah I, I think he knew and most of us following it daily knew there was little snippets and little little bits of information coming out at times from 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 the other skiers it was quite clear from very early days, regardless if someone was ahead or not, what the end result was going to be, which you, you wouldn't have seen or felt from where from where you were sat. No, you see, I had no idea about that. But what yeah. what I what I knew was that I was able to deliver consistently every single day. Exactly. And I think that if if there's a message or a legacy or a, or a lesson from the expedition, it is absolutely that. So, in terms of training for the expedition, fundraising for the expedition you know sorting out sort of work and family and then actually on the ice making mm-hmm. incremental tiny bits of progress when you've got a massive number of miles to cover in, in the totality yeah. of it it's just about consistency and consistency can overcome not having enough money not having enough time not having enough experience or skill you know if you approach it consistently and and I did um I never did fewer than 11 hours I never let myself have even one minute under you know my my ski leg of 70 minutes two hours whatever it was I never let myself have a lie-in I never took a rest day but and I know that I'm not mega mega fast and I've always known that you know running or anything but I have the ability to be consistent and to keep delivering every single day and that's that's what achieves results that that's that's what you need on these long expeditions it's it's you know and it's about setting a pace on week one that will still make you you know strong and good on week 10 week 11 12 if you go out too fast mm-hmm. work too hard too early then you, you can't get that back later you've got to you've got and it's to hard be, that's hard yeah. because you're you're frustrated at the lack of progress and you think oh maybe you i could have yeah. pushed a bit earlier in the in mm-hmm. you know in the early weeks but actually to be able to keep doing that day in day out for days yeah. and weeks on end you know you've got to you've got to pace that and, and i think that is a tricky bit so how did it feel arriving at, at the South Pole? I know you didn't achieve it in the time you originally set out to do, but that, you know, it's, you've, you've spoke about why, and, that, you know, and that's quite obvious. It became about you and Antarctica and achieving this, this amazing goal. Um, it's, I mean, I think I remember first time I approached the pole, seeing it from 
probably about 12 miles away because it was an amazingly clear day. And I just looked up and it was it was there. It's like the rainbow, though. It never gets any closer. It just seems to just always be <laughs> miles away. But you know, So for, for me, uh, I think the um, the actual arriving at the South Pole and touching, because it, it's mm-hmm. a pole, a stripy pole with a ball on the end, just like you imagine it should be. Yeah. And I think arriving at the pole was actually a bit of an anticlimax for me. Okay. Um, but but like you, I saw it from about 12 miles away. It was a beautiful, beautiful day. Um, and I'd, I'd, met, I'd had it in my head that I wanted to kind of finish in a certain way. And when we were in Greenland, we skied for, I don't know, 23 hours nonstop to get to the finish. And obviously it's 24 hour daylight. So I did a 12 hour ski day, just like normal. I whacked my tent up. I had this massive feast of everything that I had left. I was like mm. stuffing my face with Pringles and eating two puddings <laughs> and my, my stomach hurt, but I was kind of fueling up because then I just, instead of going to bed, I then um, dropped my tent and then just kind of t- tricked myself into thinking, well, it's another day. We're, we're just starting again. You've had a, you, it's like you've had a night's sleep and, and off we go. And uh, so I ended up skiing for like, uh, so it's probably another, probably another couple of hours then yeah. in, into the sort of, the following day or the following night um when i saw this building and it so there's a big science station there massive american base and i saw it off to the west and it looked just like um a submarine or something sort of on the horizon and and anything man-made is so obvious i thought that's got to be it and it was that moment that i really kind of looked back on as life-defining because all the five years of training and planning and knockbacks and people telling you you know why should we support you and you know big, big pictures for big money never materializing and lying in rivers and freezing on your way to work because you're riding a bike in the middle of winter to train all of that added to all the first two days of you know just slugging it out on the ice all kind of telescoped into that one moment of, because until i reached that point i was absolutely like i was never complacent and I never thought you've got this, you're going to make it, you're going to be okay because so much can go wrong so quickly. Yeah. It wasn't until that moment that I thought, you know what, you're going to do this, it's going to be all right. And even even now, it's such, it's such a powerful moment. It's almost like I kind of think of it as the opposite of kind of PTSD. Yeah. It was such a powerful moment in my life that even talking about it makes me feel quite um, yeah. emotional because, I mean, I know that you kind of have to have a bit of that self-belief and you can do this and all of that stuff. And I had all these messages and written inside the tent to kind of keep, keep me going and remind me it was a privilege and, you know, just kind of keep, keep me sort of keep morale up. But actually I didn't believe any of that until I saw the building kind of 12 miles out. And I just thought, Oh my God, you know what? You can do this. Mm -hmm. And it's, it has been absolutely, you know, a life defining changing moment for me and definitely um, that's when I kind of realised this is not the end. Yeah, it takes a while for it to sink in, though, doesn't it? So well, it's still, it's only like five, I mean, it sounds like a long time, five months, but when you've been planning for so many years, mm. it's still, you know, I think about it all the time. Uh, I think about getting back there all the time. Yeah. Um, and it's, you know, it, it was huge for me coming from a completely standing start with with nothing uh, mm. to, to actually kind of think, oh my God, you're actually going to do this. So. Yeah. yeah, it was amazing. And you did. I mean, you did it exceptionally well. And, you know, I know a lot of the ALE staff very well. And it was just like, 
one expedition that year they just didn't have to worry about or you know or, or bother with because it was just doing exactly what it was meant to do and it just cracked on and, and just worked you know and, um, but and I, were, but I was sure that that was not going to be me I was sure yeah. I was the one that was going to you know break my kit my tent was going to blow away my I was going to break my legs I was going to get frostbite you know I was going to ski off from the drop-off point completely in the wrong direction I was sure that all those things were going to be me and I yeah. didn't trust myself my training you know my self-belief until until that moment so yeah I mean it, and then looking looking back on it it does kind of change how you uh, how you view the expedition once you know it's kind of all gone okay and how you how you yeah. view yourself as well yeah. I kind of feel scarily invincible it's it's worrying <laughs> <laughs> but as long as it's all done with the right planning the right prep and the right level of confidence and you know and you you, you never get complacent which which you know then then why not plan the next one? Why not push us, push, push on and further? And, and have we got any plans? Is there anything we can, you know, you're, you're thinking about or itching to do? I know you're itching to get back down as, as everyone is who goes down there, but yeah. is, is there a plan? Is there something afoot? Well, I think, I think the first thing is that um, people should be warned that I thought this was going to be the big thing, that I would <laughs> do this, I would scratch that itch, I would tick it off, and then back put to it normal. to one side and carry on with my life. But it's actually had a, such a monumental effect on my life that it's changed everything and made me think, well, okay, I was in Norway. That was the extent of my comfort zone. I was in Greenland. That was the extent of my comfort zone. I got to the South Pole. I was pretty done. That was the extent of my comfort zone. But what else is possible? You know, I've proved to myself I can do all those things. What's next? So there's lots of things. There, well, lots. There are a few expeditions in Antarctica which have yet to be done by women. I'm sure there are lots of people looking at you know, full unsupported crossings, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, it's just got to be polar. There's, you know, there's something about it which is unbelievably addictive, and it's hard. It's horrible at times, and it but it's it's hard and horrible in such a pure way that all that matters is skiing and staying alive, making progress, and not dying. That is it. And when you think about all the other stuff that goes on in life. Even if you're kind of on a, I don't know, a, a big bike ride where you're stopping at towns and you're kind of, mm -hmm. there, there's something that is so kind of uh, otherworldly about being there that, that days of the week cease to matter, time of the day seems to matter, ceases yeah. to matter. The only thing that matters is, you know, are you skiing or are you sleeping? And there isn't any time to kind of sit and think about anything apart from those things and so you kind of don't you you don't have time to feel scared you don't, I never once felt lonely um I was a bit scared when there was a storm but that was kind of such a small part of the overall expedition and, and there were a few times when I, I started to get that sort of feeling of being a bit daunted by the scale of it mm -hmm. but um I was able to kind of put that to one side but in general you don't have you've got to have such complete focus I can compare it to maybe climbing or skydiving where that is what you, all you can think about because otherwise it's, you know, it's dangerous. So, um, and there, there is something that is very kind of, that draws you in about that. And you, you know, you tell me if you, if you feel like that about it as well, but 
um, polar travel is kind of it is as, as Cherry Gerard said is something like uh, it's the, most, the purest way of having a miserable time ever invented. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, I mean every day can be the best day in your life and can be the worst day in your life, and the, the the range of emotions you go through in that place, you know, just just because of what's happening around you, you know, takes you from the the, the, the pits of hell to the you know to the to the heights of heaven. It's just um, I just and that can be all in around. the course of one day as well. Exactly. So yeah. But exactly. but I think what I was surprised about is that you expect it to be linear. So you expect to kind of feel fresh and not tired and, and happy when you start and that you go gradually downhill and you're kind of totally fed up and defeated by the end of it. But it's not. It's more like a, um, a roller coaster of emotions. So some days you can feel great yeah. and it doesn't make any sense why. It might be total whiteout and all you can see is your compass and your skis. You can't see whether you're going up or down or left or right or you know anything and um, and you can make quite good progress and you can feel brilliant and then other days you know the weather's good winds are low you can see everything but you're just exhausted and it kind of isn't there doesn't seem to be any sort of predictability yeah, or pattern to explain sometimes yeah yeah so that's, I mean, it's it, it's done. You did do it. You did an amazing job. And I know a lot of people in that environment, as you know, who all sort of massively sing your praises for the way you delivered that expedition. And, it, and, it, and it's, it's it's fantastic. So I've got no doubt we're going to see you again. And are you going to get involved with maybe a bit of coaching, mentoring yourself, maybe with Lee Rudd's Quest expeditions and stuff like that? I'm sure he'd... he'd, he'd yeah, I, I really know. hope so. So I, I, I don't know what I can say about it at the moment, but um, I had the privilege of being able to go out on the first sort of um it wasn't a quest but it was some some amazing an amazing group of people had uh, bid for a prize uh, and they'd given quite a lot of money to charity to have the opportunity to come and have a polar experience with Lou um, and I was I was uh, along for you know they, because of the number of people there were we had to run two tents um, they were, they'd never done anything like that before. So it was quite important that we had that kind of flexibility to maybe take somebody back if they needed it, or, um, it definitely needed two of us, but that was my first foray into kind of sharing that experience with other people. And I honestly absolutely loved it. It was, it was hard in a completely different way. Um, because you want to make that experience good for people. You want to keep people safe and you haven't got time to think about anything that's you know your your yeah. own sort of admin has got to be absolutely kind of in, in environments like that and i know when i've i've taught you know thousands of people in this environment but in environments like that when you've got normal people with very limited experience they can they can look at someone like you and go do you know what five six years ago i was you i wasn't you know that experience i hadn't done a great deal of this but with by listening, by learning, and by just being very gradual and doing all the right things in the right way at the right time, like you're doing here, you can go on and achieve and look after yourself in this environment and do amazing things. So having people like you in groups like that offer something different to what Lou can offer, something different to what I can offer, and it just gives a rounded experience of, you know, sort of leadership that people need and people love to see and it, it's 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 hugely valuable you might not see it yet but it's hugely valuable you know when when people I think that, that is right because you look at Lou and he's kind of an SAS hero and just in that kind of a completely different mold whereas I think what I I'm trying to get people to see is that look I am average I am ordinary I have not got any special background or connections or skills or any of those things but you know if you really want to do something you can make you can make that happen 
yes, it takes a lot of time and energy and work, but you know, I was standing where you were standing, as you say, five, six years ago. So why not you? Yeah. So how's work-life balance now? So, you, so <laughs> I've seen I've seen you on social media say you know out with your tires again dragging them along even though you haven't got a big exhibition planned in the next few months and saying i'm doing this because i i love it not because i have oh my to God, it's sick right <laughs> but i just absolutely this I, maybe it is a little bit like it's it's a, it is a bit of a cliff edge and maybe we've talked about this before but coming back as a different person it's almost like you you cut out a little space wendy shaped space when you go away and you come, you go away, but then you don't quite fit back where you left off. Um, in every, you know, in sort of work and family and all of that stuff. So it definitely takes time to to readjust. And you know, suddenly not having all that training and all that pressure, it does feel weird. Yeah. And it's not good or bad. It's just really strange. Um, so so kind of going out and doing loads of um, tire hauling and you know crazy adventures with my kids has has definitely helped. But because of what's all the lockdown stuff that's happened in COVID, I feel like it's more difficult to plan anything. And that that has had a bit of a knock-on effect because, you know, I'd be sort of straight back into planning fundraising. No one's got any money. It's it's just a kind of weird, weird time. So um, I've just taken on a, a new job within the MOD and that's, that is very busy. So that's helping. That's helping me to kind of fill my time and fill my brain and and uh, but talking about the exhibition really helps I'm doing lots of uh not lots because of COVID but I would have been doing lots of talks and yeah. um and uh workshops and and all the rest of it so I'm doing a few of those and and things like this are really helpful to kind of relive that and think yeah you know it's almost it feels surreal almost like it never even happened and and, yeah. and talk, doing doing interviews about it reminds me actually yeah you did do that that really did happen and uh, to kind of relive those special moments again so it's, it is oh, really, it's nice. really nice it's really nice to hear because i mean the the outdoor athlete community is all about that you know using people's experiences to help other people so busy business people busy work-life balance lives we go into schools education you know we're doing beach cleans we're looking after the environment we're talking about endangered species you know there's anything that's good for the planet good for the mind good for the body is is what this this community is all about and it's you know it's a real pleasure to to hear you say those sort of things because you know you're you're exactly the sort of person that people on this community want to listen to and be inspired by and it's uh it's such a privilege to have you on and and, and have you share your story with us and i know you've oh, got thanks a, for letting me talk about it again no, you know been, i love it <laughs> yeah and um you know is there is there a way we can follow your your future progress? Is there do 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 you have a sort of a, a website, social media channels, or anything like that that are up and live that you that you post yeah, to regularly? Yeah, so Instagram Instagram is the best place to find me. It's okay. uh, between snow and sky. Between snow and sky, we'll make sure we get those links yeah. on the um on on the podcast as well. So uh, yeah, look out for more exhibitions coming soon hopefully yeah and i've no doubt we will cross paths via via our mutual friend lou i think I in, the, in, in the future as well but um when it's been fantastic yeah, well, to depending to on what ha- what happens with your uh antarctic plans we should uh, we should all go on one giant exhibition together that'd be cool <laughs> well, I, I would not be against that whatsoever i spoke to steve jones at ale yesterday and he's um you know he said most people have started sort of just making the decision early to pull out of antarctica this oh, year really? so they've they've not made any decisions other than they they're delaying entry by two weeks i know that much yeah. from the normal start of november 
but a lot of people have just made the decision that they that it's it's just not on and mm. like like me I, I made the decision to push back to 2021 because again fundraising and just getting out there is just been impossible and yeah. it's, although i think next year I might just, then be a bumper year which would be amazing so yeah it, yeah it's it's been, the more people down there, the safer it is, I suppose. You can, you know, there's still, there's plenty of room for everyone, isn't this? That's for sure. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I think I'm, you know, let's let's get some more kind of people doing solo journeys, some more women, some more mothers. Uh, yeah, yeah, there's plenty of room yeah. for everyone. Yeah, I know. I, I I agree. As long as they're mentored and you know properly, then it's you know it's it's a, it's a place for you know everybody. Yeah, it truly is a special place. So yeah, I would absolutely recommend it. If anyone has any doubt before, then uh, yeah, set a date and, and make it happen. Yeah, just just do it. Just do it. Find that adventure and just go and live it. Absolutely. Yeah. Wendy, we'll um, we'll sign off. I, I know you've got work to get back to. Amazing interview. Thank you very much for talking to us here, and we'll um, you know we'll we'll stay in touch. Thank you so much for having me. Real pleasure. Thanks very much. Bye.